On today's show, we talk about how couples can rebuild their life after life-altering transitions. We also talk to an awesome mom of adult children who's really frustrated by their decisions and choices. Stay tuned. What's up? Welcome everybody to the Dr. John Deloney Show. I am John, and when I say welcome everybody, you 22 people know who you are. Sitting, probably most of y'all are in a circle, just looking at each other because y'all are doing some form of community service, and the judge in your community thought it'd be hilarious to make you have to listen to this show as part of your criminal punishment. We're glad you're here. And you can tell, for those of you who've been with us for a long time, we have moved up from 17 to 22. We gained uh, four or five new followers. We're excited. We are doing somersaults here in the studio. Hey, a couple of things before we get going on the show. Number one, if you're new to us, we're so glad you're here. It's awesome. And I keep saying we. It's just me here. Um, actually, it's not. It's Zach and Kelly, James, who's also at funruiner.com.net slash org if you want to go check out his website. And, um, hey, we talk about mental health. We talk about relationships. We talk about the things that you're struggling with, that you're walking through. And um, we take real calls, live calls from you. I'll walk alongside you, and we will help figure this out thing, this thing out together. Uh, before we get going, though, I do want to talk about this. Um, Y'all know I hate selling stuff. It's just part of the deal. But um, a few months ago, I came out with a book. It's a really thin book. It's like 80 pages. And it's called Redefining Anxiety. Man, I just kept having – so many people kept calling about I got anxiety, I got anxiety, I got anxiety. And one day I popped off in a meeting, hey, anxiety's not the issue. And everyone around me said, huh? And so we wrote a quick book on it. It has taken off a a life of its own. We all were scratching our head when it made the bestseller list. And now I'm starting to get these really remarkable – um, emails with entire police department leadership teams holding a copy of the book um, of counseling centers and medical centers buying these things by the case to pass out to their clients. This book's ten bucks. It's it costs. It's it's low cost. It's easy to read, and it really just cuts through all the nonsense. It doesn't. It's not a four inch book on all the neuroscience and mumbo jumbo and theoretical blab. It just gets right to it. And so if you know somebody who's struggling with anxiety, um, it's a, it's a, it's good. It's helping a lot of folks. I'm grateful for everybody. If this book has meant something to you, if it's helped you out, if it's helped you be able to communicate better with someone that you love, man, let me know. Cause man, I, I do this show and then I go home and I live out in the woods and I don't pay attention to a lot of stuff. And so it means a lot to me when you say, Hey, this little $10 investment helped me and my wife talk better. It helped me understand my kids. It helped me and my workplace get along better. It's awesome. So um, that's it. 10 bucks, johndeloney.com. You can get a copy of this book. All right, let's go to the phones. Let's take the first call from Kyle in Paducah, Kentucky. Kyle, what is up? Well, it's an interesting day. Um, it's it, like it is, the man. damn vocalist and... Everything has come my direction all at once. But that's not why I'm calling. Hey, why um, not? Hey, let's talk about it. It's happening. No, 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 no. You got my real name and my real city, so we can't discuss all that. <laughs> hey, Kyle, uh, I'll lie if you want to. That's part of the fun here. It's got my name's on the show. It's cool. I know it is. But, all right, you know, so, I'm hoping people hear this that know me. All um, right. It might help somebody. Okay, so, so let's bring it on, man. What's going on? I have um, an ongoing challenge having discussions, uh, meaningful discussions with my wife. Okay. Our conversations, who is a who is currently walking out in her 11th year of brain cancer. Hmm. Okay. And. Um, so did she have a surgery back in the day that altered her cognitive yeah, back capacity? In 2010, she had a seizure in the middle of the night. Um, and found out it was a uh, brain tumor mm. on her right temporal lobe. Uh, mm. It was more of a mass. It wasn't a root style. Uh, okay. turned out to be anaplastic astrocytoma. Had a craniotomy followed by radiation, chemo, the whole nine yards. Yeah. Um, she came out with, I mean, with memory intact. Uh, physical stuff's fine. Motor skills are pretty good. 
Um, she, I mean, that was trauma to the whole body. Oh, um, absolutely. Beyond any of my imagination. Um, and it has just changed things. Yeah. So, so I'm is 11 it... years into this and it makes it for some challenging days. That's right, man. So let me get to, let me ask a few more questions, just physiological right. questions. Did, did the surgery alter her? personality in any way did it alter the way she sees the world or is this more a trauma response she lives a, an anxious life a fearful life or the other way it's just wheels off now now we are going to sprint to the end here because she got to peer over the edge tell me about these these changes okay so uh this was in our fourth year of marriage uh we dated for about a year beforehand okay. so my i have been uh compare it, trying to nail down what some drastic changes have been. Um, but because of my, no, my limited amount of time knowing her beforehand, mm -hmm. um, I have, I, I've known her a lot longer post craniotomy. Okay. Okay. Um, but, but don't get, don't. I talked to her, I talked to her friend yesterday, a yeah. friend that's known her longer than me and I asked her, uh -huh. um, and this has not been the first time I asked her this. And she said she used to be a go-getter. Okay. Um, and now she's not, um, but so, I Hey, I, hey her, Kyle, Kyle, I don't yes, want, sir. I don't want, don't go back in and, and try to recreate a puzzle that All you right. didn't experience. Tell me what you experienced. You knew her for four years or five years or six years. And then you got, yeah. what, and then you've known her since. So what happened before you met her doesn't matter very much to me. How, wh right. What have you experienced? And why there is it? What did you? Of caution. There, she is very cautionary. Um, uh, fear. Um, anything. Anything. Um, it's hard for me to discuss things of the future, like my dreams, my aspirations, with her, because she begins to see herself as a burden and the anchor that keeps me from going that route. And. Um, uh, we didn't have, we didn't experience that beforehand. So what or in the last, what, what in the last decade has communicated to her that she's some sort of a burden? Uh, the fact that she has not, um, she went on disability okay. after it and got it, get on just lickety split. Um, and then they denied her. And because we have a daughter and uh, it was more, we'd already gotten that rhythm of her being a stay at home mom. Um, when she lost disability, my income was enough to cover and take care of all the needs and stuff like that. Uh, she didn't have to go to work. She wanted, if she wanted to, um, which I think she was fearful at it. She was kind of hesitant, but um, she, there was not the need. It would created more headaches. Um, because she was just wanting to go back into for all of us, because she was wanting to go back into retail at the mall, which would be crazy schedules and everything else. Um, we just gotten stuck, not stuck. We gotten comfortable in that rhythm of her being at home. It sounds like you got comfortable with her being at home. Okay. Is that fair or not fair? Yeah. Oh, that's very fair. Because I'm trying to um, drill down. Here's the thing. It's really common when somebody has a life-altering moment. A, okay. a brain tumor is one of those things. Brain cancer right. is one of those things. A traumatic brain injury is one of those things, right? And there are a million different versions of that. The first time you have a heart attack, the first time you have an anxiety attack, any of those things, somebody you love dies in a car wreck. We have these moments that, that I call before and after moments. I was this uh -huh. way up until here. Gotcha. And the challenge when... When you have a before and after moment and you're married and you got kids or you've got close family is okay. everybody around you often wants to go back to the way things were. And you've had right. this giant lightning bolt experience. You're different now. And right. everyone around you is, says, well, now that you're up and walking, now that you're up and running around, now that you're out of the hospital, fill in the blank. Now we can go back to what was. 
And what I often tell folks who experience a trauma, especially when it's acute, right? Like we're right in the middle of it or just coming out of it is everything is different now. Even if it looks the same, even if you drive home in the same car you went to the hospital in, everything's different. And so you have to excavate what was and rebuild something completely new. And so what I'm trying to drill at, drill down here is this is a decade ago and something along the way has communicated to her and I'm not blaming you for it. I'm asking you may be a part of it. I'm guessing you are not that you're a bad guy. It's just part of it. Something has communicated to her over time that what she wants, what her vision of the future is, what y'all's vision of the future is. She's weighing you. She's slowing you down. Right. And my guess is your kids, ten, I mean, not my guess is, but your kids 10 years older now, the yeah. whatever the things that she wanted to do are now just, I'm so sorry. Or it's just a thing. And when you can't fight and you can't, you can't fight brain cancer, right? You got to go through chemo and do those things. But once you're done, you can't have a fist fight with it. You can't run from it because it's in your body. And so what's the other thing? When you're under attack and you can't flee and you can't fist fight it, your body just goes yeah. into it goes into neutral. That's right. Okay. It, it just shuts down. It freezes. Right. Gotcha. It tries to not be detected by the world. And another word for frozen is an anchor. Right. So what I'm asking mm. you is, what about you? Have you not? How have you contributed to her feeling like she is of value? Her dreams are your dreams, and your dreams are her dreams. Or have you contributed to a narrative that she just needs to get on board? Hey, you'll take care of it. Your vision's important, and she can come along for the ride. Or Probably may- both of those. Okay. <laughs> um, um, a lot of, I mean, I'm a dreamer. Yeah. And I might have a different um, ambition in life every year. And I've got to be grounded because I am just, I'm a card-carrying ADD. Um, full blown. So I've got a shed full of previous hobbies that I'm not ever going to touch again. Okay. Um, most likely. So I. Um. So that's a context, well, not I'm an not, excuse. I'm not helping. Right? Yeah, I'm not. I'm yeah. I'm I'm not helpful in that. Okay. Um. um so here, here's what I'm asking. There's there is no cognitive impairment. Meaning, my oldest friend on planet Earth, the oldest friend right. I have is a traumatic brain injury survivor, has very little ability to develop short, new short-term memories, and often collapses spaces of up to 20 years. And so sometimes out of nowhere, I'll get an email about, hey, here's something that happened the other night, and it happened 20-something years ago. He's got legitimate cognitive impairment, and he's working his butt off in an, an extraordinary way to continue okay. to work towards it. So there's that's one thing. Sounds to me like... Your wife is suffering from a long-term compression of who she has become post-surgery. She doesn't have any cognitive impairment. She's just been living Not, underwater for a decade. Um, learning new skills, I see when I observe her trying to learn something new. If she is, if if it if it presents itself with some type of resistance or challenge, mm-hmm. she will back away from that and just uh, her spirit crumbles in a sense. Okay. Um, she feels like failure. Um, okay. So that it, it, there's a part of me that wants to jump in there and be like, okay, we can push through this. Um, but there's another part of me that says, no, I've got to let her push through this and wait until she asks me for help. Okay. And then back away again. Um, and so I want to present you a third is, option. I want to present you a third option. Okay. One of those right. is to jump in and solve it. Right. One, right. And I think your impulse there, like that's my impulse. Whenever I see my wife yeah. struggling with something or my kids, somebody that I love struggling with something, I want to jump in and solve it. Then uh-huh. I've also learned that me solving things is not helpful most of the time, right? It, it makes me be able to get in the car faster, but it doesn't help my kids grow up. It, it short circuits my wife's development, right? All those things. The third option is I can create an environment where I am stable where she can be so anchored in 
that she can try and get frustrated and repel off the side. And she knows I'm not going anywhere. She knows I'm not going to spend money that we don't have, that I'm not going to fly by night something else. And the moment she gets her foot grounded, I'm off to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, creating a world where she just quits repelling off the side because I'm not even a stable, I'm not a stable rock anymore. Right. Not gotcha. saying that the guy's got to be the rock. I'm saying both people have to do it to each other, right. For each other. Okay. And so the third option is just to create a universe that she is a part of co-create a universe is a better way to say that. Or man, you can repel off the edge and try your crazy schemes and they're balanced and stable enough where she can try hard things, fail, be frustrated, get up again tomorrow, try them again. Right. Does that make Is that you see a whole third yeah. option here? It's not an either yes, or thing. That, that actually took place this summer. Okay. She, well, because of my procrastination and lack of want to do it, she decided, well, yeah, she decided and got tired of waiting for me to paint the living room, and she painted it, and it was excellent, and it feels like a victory for her. Awesome. And I am like, I have applauded her and praised her since that happened. Awesome. Um, so what would be awesome is if you yes. could create a world where she doesn't have to violate core values of hers to, to be able to and accomplish something. That, okay. that an accomplishment for her isn't also an act of rebellion. An act of mm. throwing up her hands and say, I can't count on this guy. I'm going to have to go do it. Right? Okay. Because that ends up, that, that oh, is okay. her cutting that cord and just saying, I'm going to fly to the bottom and I hope I land. And this time she landed. She landed great. But that yeah. does not tell me that the ecosystem's healthy there, right? So yeah. backing out, at ultimately, how do you communicate with your wife who's experienced this before and after thing? You're looking at a decade now, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. My guess is y'all are both exhausted. And yeah. on the back end of exhaustion becomes high frustration and high frustration leads to people creating alt universes that don't include each other, right? Yes, and I have experienced that. Okay. Um, and, and I went through a phase of that, so yes. And then on the other end of that is resentment. And very few relationships come back from resentment. Because that a fancy word for resentment is an anchor, which is what she's describing. I'm out. Yes. Whatever you want, dude. It's cool. Does that make sense? Um, yes, that got me into recovery back in 2014. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) And I have loved recovery. It is. And so because of that, um, I have dove into recovery. And so anytime that I try to bring that up, it is received as trying to fix. And that's not the intention of it. So I'm kind of in that weird place of, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know what to do. Have you, have you had that conversation? Um, in my mind, yes. Nah. Not in my mind. With, with her, with, Kyle, with her Kyle, face, you, your I mind have, is a dark, think... sad, scary place, right? Yeah, you're right there. It is that. Um, so listen. Um, I think I have attempted to, and I think every time it has turned out to go awry, and so I have just gotten gun shy to even bring it up. Okay. So here's what you got to do. That's fair enough? Yeah, okay. that's super fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So here's what I'll tell you. You are on a, you are on a bullet train towards forcing each other into an either-or conversation here in the next few years. Okay. Okay? And that's not a place that you want to end up. It doesn't sound like – it sounds like you really love your wife. You've been through recovery now. And you want the same healing for your whole household that you're experiencing and, and, and. Is that fair? Yes, very much so. All right. So it's awesome that you want to stay married to this woman, that you love this woman. And now you're saying, all right, I'm out of tools. I'm out of, I don't know what the next move is. And whenever you don't know what the next move is with someone that you really love and care about, the next move is saying out loud with them, I don't know what the next move is, but I'm all in. And that vulnerability, think of yourself as a porcupine running through life. And that's the moment that porcupine rolls over and on exposes his belly and says, you can hurt me. But I know that my approach isn't working. And I'm too invested in you. I'm too invested in us to take one more step in a wrong direction. So I'm just going to stop. Okay. Right. 
And that cannot come, brother, on a f- on the back of a fight. It can't come at the back end of a disagreement. It's got to be a planned conversation that she knows is coming, that you know is coming, that everybody can come in with all the guards down. Because when somebody challenges us, all guards up, we go back to our old routines. I'm protecting me. You're protecting you. I'm good. And my guess is you try to solve stuff because you've got lots of answers and you've got lots of experiences. And she just goes into neutral and says, whatever, dude, and pulls a car over and the side of the road, right? So do this. Here's the, here's the step. I want you to take her out, let her know, hey, I want to talk. I want to have a dreaming conversation about the future where I don't talk. I listen. And you know what? Even better, Kyle, even better. Because my guess is at this point, a decade after brain cancer, when you start talking, I bet your wife checks out. You sound like a guy who's, I mean, you said you 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 got a garage full of projects. You've got a lot of words and a lot of explanations, and I recognize this because I'm you, brother. So I want you to write your wife a letter. Write, write her a letter and leave it on her pillow, and the letter will say something like, I love you more than anything. And I'm committed to you above all else. I also know that I'm not helpful. I'm hard to be around. I've tried to solve lots of stuff that hasn't been mine to solve. And I've tried to create a future for our family that, that often doesn't include you. It includes you, but you riding co-pilot to wherever I'm taking us instead of us both sharing driving responsibilities into this vision of the future. And so I want to go out to breakfast one morning, one Saturday morning. We'll get a babysitter, go out to breakfast one Saturday morning. And I just want to listen. I want to listen to you. I want you to tell me your story. I want you to tell me how you felt the last 10 years. I want you to talk to me, be vulnerable, be open, and th- commit in that breakfast to not saying a lot of answers. It's doing a lot of listening. And what you'll probably find out is after a decade, you had a before and after too. You almost lost your wife. And you went into solution mode, and you went into addiction mode, and then you went into recovery mode. And probably both of you haven't healed from that initial incident. And then you've just taken a why. And now you find yourself two inches apart on, each, from, on a couch from each other, but you're 2,000 miles away. You're living separate lives. You're roommates, right? And you're probably going to need to get a marriage counselor, which is tough for some uh, from a, a, a respectable, tough guy from Paducah, Kentucky. It is. But you're going to go first. You're going to tell your wife, hey, I want to do this because I, I want to be in the long run with you in the long run on this deal. And I'm out of tools. We got to get somebody that's going to teach us some new tools, teach me some new tools, teach me how to listen, teach you how to get that car out of neutral, get back into drive. And me not trying to reach over and grab your wheel while you're driving all the time. But it's brother, it all comes back to you being vulnerable and you going first and saying the road that we're on, we know where this is going to lead. We're not being successful. We're not. I want to step back and recreate this whole house. And that starts with me saying, I'm sorry. Let's try again. Let's go do this. And Kyle, if you do that, man. Whew, she may say, I don't even know who you are, brother. What'd you do with my Kyle? I want him back. Or she may just say, I don't have anything to say. Everything's fine. It's all good. And if that happens, then Kyle, you say, well, I appreciate you. I'm going to go to counseling. I'm going to go learn some new tools. I'd love it if you join me. Because at the end of the day, all you can do is take care of you. Right? But it starts with you being brave. And Kyle, let's just be honest. You making this call was brave. I appreciate you. Not a lot of guys in Paducah, Kentucky are going to say, hey, I love this lady. I love my life. I want to honor her the best way I can. And I'm out, I'm out of options. I'm out of tools. You're a brave guy. Now you got to go look that one woman that you love, you committed to in the eye and say, whew. Let's start healing from the floor up. And I'm going first. All right, we'll be right back. This is the Dr. John Deloney Show. One of the most common questions I get on my show is how do you get something off your chest? Maybe it's a deep secret that you've never told anyone, or maybe it's something that happened to you. Or maybe it's something you've done and you're deeply ashamed about it. You're worried because you know bringing this to light is going to cause disruption in every part of your life. 
All of us, every single one of us have things both big and small that we need to get off our chest from time to time. And I say this always, secrets will kill you. But it's often so hard to know where to start or even how to say these things. Therapy is a safe and effective place to get things off your chest, to learn how to say scary and hard things out loud and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I have personally been blessed to have a great therapist who I can talk to and who helps me get these heavy things off my chest and figure out what to do next. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's convenient, flexible, and suited for your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time, and it doesn't cost any extra money. Listen, it's time to get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Deloney today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Deloney. All right, let's go to Sarah in Saratoga Springs, New York. What's up, Sarah? How are you? Hi, John. How are you? So good. What's going on? Good. Um, I have a question for you. Um, Last year in April, um, my husband and I are both 31 years old. Um, Last year in April, my husband almost died from an undiagnosed heart condition. Whoa. Um, And we are sort of a year out from that. And my husband is struggling with the lifestyle changes that come with that. Mm. Um, So I just needed some advice to how to help him through that. Oh, that's so hard. Sarah, that's so yeah. hard. Okay, so tell me about what happened. Y'all were just putting along, and then all of a sudden, whoa. Um, I was in my office one morning. It was early morning, around 7 o'clock, and I heard what sounded like snoring in our bedroom. So I thought, because my husband snores, and I was like, oh, okay. But it was getting louder, and I walked in, and he couldn't breathe. Yeah, suffocating. Um, yeah. And, that's a terrifying yeah. sound when someone's... It was a congestive heart failure almost? Uh, yeah. His, um, when I was on the phone with the paramedics, he actually, um, his heart stopped. Um, and he, like, turned purple and his face was, like, you know, not in a human form. Um, and he, like, stopped moving. And then um, what I can only be described as a miracle from God is he, like, sat straight up. Mm. And, and woke right back up. Wow. Um, and they thought it might've been a seizure, but then they figured out it was an issue with his heart and he was in the cardiac ICU for two weeks and he had a failed surgery that he almost died from. And then his heart stopped five other times and they had to jump him. Mm. Um, and they finally figured out that it was a medication that he had been put on for depression that kicked, like he had this heart problem, Mm -hmm. but the medication basically like kicked it into gear. Um, so he has an ICD in him now to help if anything else happens. Um, have you had, you have to go through regular checkups for that. Has there been any, has it caught anything or is everything working fine now? Everything seems to be working fine. Oh, um, his doctors um, told him he has to really change the way he eats yep. and his drinking and his smoking and all that kind of stuff. And they they see him. He has two cardiac doctors, and they see him every three months. Okay. So before we get um, to him, before yeah. we get to you living with somebody who won't make behavioral changes, which is a nightmare, <laughs> talking to you, Sarah— I've I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> I, I, hey, listen, I've heard that sound before. And uh-huh. outside of the scream of a young person, that is yeah. a sound that is like no other. It's that yeah. sound that sounds like snoring, but it's a, yeah. I, I've, I've heard it called the death rattle. It is a very particular noise that when you're with other um, emergency personnel, everybody kicks up because they know what that means. That is a trauma for you. Have you worked through this? Have you been able to talk to somebody to experience this? Or have you just been running full tilt since this moment? I have talked to two different. I've been going to therapy since I was 14. So I've been in consistent therapy throughout it. Okay. Um, And with one of my therapists, we worked through like 
we did the thing of like, what if he had died? And we like worked through that of like, how would I be and stuff like that? But yeah. I've never, <laughs> I guess, delved That's into a... the moment when it happened. I've not heard of that therapy. Yeah, it, it was. It was <laughs> that seems almost as traumatizing. As... <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, whatever. To each his own. Maybe. Maybe one day I'll call your therapist just to have a conversation. That sounds fascinating. It's like ah man, near death ex- near death experience. Let's totally experience that, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. Wow. Okay. To each his own, right? Um, yeah. So yeah. Here, here's the thing. So you know this. You've been in therapy. I less therapeutic more you having a friend to sit with and just be able to weep openly you've been holding that your body's probably been holding its breath for a year yes you are correct and, and i and i every time i walk into the bedroom yep every time you hear a sound bed. yep every time oh, you yeah. walk out yeah. and you're doing something and you hear a weird whatever or in the middle of the night you wake up and hear him snoring and yeah. you reach out to put your hand on his chest, like that is your body in fight or flight. Yeah. Okay. And until you yeah. let that cycle through your body and you completely go, whew, that was then and this is now. Yeah. You are intentionally <laughs> not changing your behaviors. Okay. And that's a mean okay. way to put a trauma response. Um, but I just think a lot of us live with trauma and we just assume that's just the way that's going to be. And it's not. But until you process that, <laughs> not by imagining what happened if he had just been dead. That's a weird way to experience trauma. But <laughs> you got to let the cycle run through, okay? Meaning there's going to okay. come a moment when you're going to have to reckon with those feelings, the fact that you can't control whether he stays alive or not, whether mm-hmm. you can't control – whether you control very, very little in your life is basically what – handling that trauma response, letting it work itself all the way through, and you can finally exhale. You can finally sleep yeah. through the night. Um Whatever that looks like for you, I just want to highly, highly, highly recommend that for you, okay? Okay. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're living an electrified life, and that shortens your lifespan too. Yeah. Right? You can't fully sit into joy. You can't fully laugh all the way into your guts. You can't fully enjoy sexual intimacy. You can't fully get into life because your body is still waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? Right. Whew. And as you can see, I've heard that noise, and it sets me off, <laughs> right? And very no, few things, I, Sarah, set me off, and that noise does. It's terrifying, right? Well, I was going to say, no, no one's ever talked to me about the noise. Yes. Or, or, like, commiserated with me over the noise, and that's and that's it. Like, like if I hear something that sounds like that noise, I, like, get out, out of my chair, and I, like, go around the corner, and just, like, my cat scratching on something, but, like, I think something's happening. And so your body now has to think of it as um, um, an emergency response team. And it created a new yeah. unit that all it does 24 seven, 365 is scan your environment for sleep. I mean, for that, for that noise yeah. and it will sleep less because it's looking for that noise and it will yeah. not pay attention to your work and your writing and to the movie and to sex and all those things because it's scanning the environment for the noise until you can go in and process that trauma and tell that unit of your brain I'm good. I'm good. So right. do I process that with a friend or with a therapist or both and that's everyone does it differently. Some people take a journal okay. out to the mountains and they come back all better and some people um have to go through a seeking safety program where they work through the actual event and relive it. And they've got some way they learn ways to breathe through challenges. So when those, when it shows up, how you can work through it and then you become, it becomes almost instantaneous. It's learning a new set of skills, right? Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Um, And everybody does that differently, but it's you knowing I am consciously seeking this new set of skills so that when this thing happens, I'm good. And then I'm moving on. Yeah. Right. And then when you process that, then you're going to have to deal with, you're going to be walk driving your car someday in the picture of him sitting up in bed, that terrifying look on his face whew, will flap flash back in your head. And then you're going to yeah. learn to control your thoughts and say, Nope, I'm not choosing to focus on that. And you're going to have some backup thoughts that you go to directly 
And then you're going to realize, well, I can control my thoughts most of the time. I can't control the lightning bolts, okay. but I can control whether I meditate on that and let my body set off on an entire fear response based on something that's not going to happen again. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then you got to make peace with it can all happen again, which leads to the nightmare of living next to somebody who's received a terminal behavior change who just won't change. Right. Right. M meaning mm -hmm. if you don't stop doing X, Y, and Z, you're going to die. And they go, got it. And they go home and jump right back into X, Y, or Z. Right. right. So tell me about your side of that. Um, like, like what he's doing or how I'm dealing with it. Both. Um, well, he has definitely changed his diet. Um, and he lost 40 pounds. Wow. Very cool. Doing. Yeah. He's, he's very like healthy, I would say in his body, but I notice when stress comes up, he goes back to his old eating habits of like, you know, the greasy stuff, like all the stuff you don't want to eat. I know, heart. but Sarah, listen, cheeseburgers make sadness go away for a minute. It's delicious. <laughs> I know. It just know. shoves all of my sad feelings down. Yeah. Right? Yes, it does. So good. Yeah. And then after a while, yeah. a few hours, they start coming back up. More cheeseburgers. <laughs> yes. yes. Awesome. Yep. So um, he's trading one thing for another, huh? Okay. Um, and then they told him, his doctor told him, you can have a drink at your 50th wedding anniversary. You can have a drink at your daughter's wedding. But other than that, you should never drink again. And he, I would say he was like a pretty social drinker. Mm -hmm. He was not an alcoholic by any means, but like he would have a couple of beers out with friends. He enjoyed a good whiskey. And it was very social for him. Yep. So the thought of not having that he can't process and we got to the year mark and we decided at a year we would talk about it. Mm -hmm. And at a year I said, you know, I feel comfortable with you having one drink or two drinks a month, mm -hmm. but I don't know if I'll be comfortable with anything more than that what's, because the what, doctor said, what's he comfortable with? He is comfortable with, what he feels like is right. So he won't tell me he, he says, you know, I'm not going to get as drunk as I used to, but I also don't want to be stuck to one or two drinks a month. So here's the nightmare that is all of our lives. We fall head over heels in love with somebody. We get up in front of our friends and family, some rando pastor somewhere. Mm -hmm. And our grandparents show up, the ones who are still alive and if we're religious, we get in front of God and say, I'm ride or die with this one. Mm -hmm. And then you go home and realize I can't control them. Mm -hmm. And then you got kids and it gets even worse. And so what I will tell you right now is any sort of behavior change predicated on that's balancing on what you're going to allow for him will not work. Mm -hmm. And that's heartbreaking. Yeah. And it something tells me that there is a. Basically, he's been told you got to change your whole life, your friends, right. your community, the way you engage with the world all has to be different or you're going to be dead. And as his wife, the person looking in, that's easy. Fix it. Right. Because mm -hmm. your decisions mm -hmm. are going to affect me. But there is an unconscious decision when faced with a major life change of change all of your life or be dead. There is an unconscious. Mm, I'll play the dead card. I don't believe it happens to other people. Yeah, that will deal with it later. That's a problem for, you know, future husband. It's not worth the immediacy of, I need to see my friends today. I miss a dark, right. smoky room. I, I, I. Which means when you're living out of a, you can't do these things, it's always a fail. That's why restrictive diets fail 100% of the time. They just fail, right? Right. Versus, hey, me and you have to go create an entire new universe. What we're about, who we are, 
more importantly, where we're going, why we're going there, and what that picture is going to look like. Mm-hmm. And you have to be as equal co-creator, a co-author, a co-painter of that picture as he is. As long as you're right. on the outside of this thing, barking orders at him, directing him, then it's, it's a, you become his mom. And nobody wants to right. be married to their mom, right? And nobody wants yeah. to be married to their son. It becomes, hey, we got to just redo the whole thing. So you're there in New York. The analogy I use all the time, usually it's when infant, like after infidelity. You may have heard me say this on this show. Mm-hmm. You cannot take, this is a before and after moment, just like the last caller. Everything was okay until his heart said, I'm out, <laughs> right? Till you yeah. heard the man of your, of your life almost be dead in, your, in the bed that you sleep in, okay? Yeah. And I, I'm being intentionally direct here, okay? Yeah. You, you got to go back and look at 9-11 with the Twin Towers. You could never sweep up all that glass and twisted steel and metal and recreate those towers with those same ingredients. You can't. The only thing yeah. you can do is... Take two years, excavate the whole thing, clean it all up, completely wipe that slate clean, and then get some great architects, build something new, design and build something new. And now that new tower is strong, it's powerful, it's beautiful, it's a monument to what was, and it's a arrow pointing to the future, right? That's what y'all have to do. The last data I looked at, and I think this is back in 2013, so it's been a while, mm-hmm. was faced with a terminal decision. Men, adult men, two out of seven made the, the behavioral shift. Wow. Which is dreadful numbers. So number yeah. one, don't hold me to that data. That's the last I remembered. Um, and it could yeah. have shifted up by then. Number two, that tells me that the behavior, the this or that, isn't the issue. The issue is the ecosystem, the relationships, the what that means. That's what matters. Mm-hmm. And so what y'all have to do is the hard work of saying, all right, we are starting from square square one, square zero, I mean, except we're already in it together. And okay. I'm going to heal, you're going to heal, but we got to reinvent this thing from the floor up. Okay. And here's where that really is a risk for you, Sarah. He could say, I don't want to. Yeah. He that, said that the other day. Okay, so what do you tell me about that? Um, I spoke to him about how I was talking to my therapist about what I'm comfortable with with the drinking and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and he said, you know, I don't know if I'm willing to do that, and you're probably going to leave me anyway because I don't think I'm willing to do that. There you go. And then later that night, he said, you know, we probably have a good. 10 or 20 years left, but then you're going to leave me. And here's what happened. And again, I'm not blaming. I'm walking alongside you. You promise you, yeah. you get me that on that? Okay. Oh, of course. Yeah. When it becomes a, I'm not comfortable with this, that creates a you versus me. Okay. That becomes a right side and a wrong side. And him saying, oh, well, I mean, if you drew a line, yeah, eventually I'm going to screw this up. And so, and since it's you versus me, you're just going to leave. And that's where an excavation process is, nope, we're doing this together. This is us. Mm-hmm. And so similar to the last caller, what you got to do is you got to take him out somewhere and say, I set this whole dynamic up wrong. I said, I'm going to let you do some behaviors that I'm comfortable with. And I said that wrong and I shouldn't have drawn that boundary between us. I should draw boundaries around us, but not between us. And so what, I, what we have to do together is reimagine tomorrow completely new from the floor up. It means we may have to get new friends. I don't think so. I think they'll, our friends will make adjustments with us. We may have to move towns. We may have to get new jobs. We may have to look at everything from the floor up because I'm not living my life without you. I don't want to. I want you in it. Not, you can't, you can't. And I don't know a lot of people that walk away from that conversation because that's different than if you don't, then I'm going to, that's different than, hey, I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm in it. And then you got to hold on the other side. Man, that's a risk that you're taking. Because he can look at you and say, hey, you know what? I'm out. I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm out. Let's deal with that when we get there. My guess is that's not going to happen. My guess is 
when he hears your heart, your willingness to go with him and y'all go to a, a new therapist that's not making you do these weird thought experiments about pretending your husband's dead, but that is about, all right, let's clear the deck and build something incredible and new. We're going to paint pictures together. We're going to live into those things. Man, this is our moment to dream about what we were going to do and what we should have been doing. Let's do it now. Let's move to Kansas. You don't have to move to Kansas. But whatever that's going to look like, now we're all in. You're a stud, Sarah. He's lucky to have you. And let's back this thing up and start all over again. All right, let's go to one more call. Let's go to Carol in Omaha. Carol, what's going on? Well, I'm glad to be talking to you. That last call was uh, pretty close to home, so but on a different <laughs> subject. So anyway, I am a widow. Okay. Uh, I got four grown, ch- four grown children, a past four grandkids. And until recently, I kind of thought I had raised all my children, especially with um, really solid values. Okay. And I'd always felt like those 25 years of being mostly a stay-at-home mom were, you know, me living my true purpose in life. And through the years, I've, uh, you know, they, my, as they were growing and declaring themselves adults, I have been given many lessons on how to let my grown children and then my young adult grandchildren make their own decisions as adults. It's not easy, but, uh, but one new development is just really kind of just breaking my heart on a lot of levels. Mm-hmm. So here goes. Um, one of my sons and his wife have recently discovered a lucrative way of making a living that involves gathering fans of her online photos. Uh, fa- mm-hmm. uh, fans only? With, oh, oh, only fans? Yeah. Okay. I have no idea. I'm not asking those questions. I don't know. <laughs> they just told me they told me they were probably not the kinds of photos that I need to see. And I don't want to put them in an album and show them to my mom and say, here, break on your grandchildren. Why did, hey, uh, why did they tell you this? Uh, How'd this come up over pancakes? <laughs> like, hey, mom, uh, by the way, I opened a... So OnlyFans uh, is well, a site that like stay-at-home moms can, or anybody can use. But yeah, it's... it's, um, it's I wouldn't no, even tell people what it is in case they look it up well, and like it. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's common knowledge for those younger than it you is? and me. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, it came up because um, she was able to, I mean, she's earning a lot of money. Okay. They are earning a lot of money. And he's in, you know, I mean, they, they are in it together. They're making it their business, and she, she quit her job. That's how it came up. And they were suddenly not pinched for money. And so, anyway, okay, so there's a <laughs> I, lot of... I still like, don't think I would... Hey mom, guess what? I, I still brought. I don't know. Um, that's beside the yeah, point. Yeah, well, we can we can go back to that if we need to. But, no, I'm um, I'm good on that. Seems, so how can I help? Okay, so you're always talking about people needing relationships and community and stuff. And this one has me. How do I build a community of friends when this is part of what I really need need friendships for? This one's. It's. I mean, I was really proud of raising my kids. I was really proud of myself as a mom. Probably too proud. Hey, Carol, 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 Carol. You didn't fail. Oh, yeah? Carol, Carol, mm. you didn't screw up. You didn't (laughs) fail. Mm. That one's... Carol, Mm. you didn't fail. Well, I can't really say I feel like I succeeded. Carol, you didn't fail. Success of raising your kids is not hinge on the fact that they're going to make only great decisions for the rest of their lives. Your time at home with them wasn't wasted. You stepping in the gap when your husband passed away. All of that energy and tears and exhaustion and late nights was not wasted. You didn't fail. They're making decisions that you don't like. 
but you, man, you didn't blow it. There's not something you could have gone back and, and altered or twisted or changed that would have shifted this outcome. So you got to exhale and drop your shoulders on that one. When you go back and blame yourself, what that does is it allows you an illusion of control that you had any control over the way your son or daughter or daughter-in-law chooses to live their life in the first place. And sometimes that lack of control is scarier than blaming myself for failing. And so I need, if nothing else, I'll give you my thoughts on your daughter and daughter-in-law and your son, but nothing else. You didn't fail. You loved the crap out of that kid. All four of them. That is very true. And I still do love them. Of course you do. I love my grandkids. I love, you know, I love my, my in-laws. I mean. And and listen, because your, your son and daughter-in-law, let's just stick with your son. Okay. Because your son is making different, um, value choices than you. (laughs) Yeah. Morally, moral choices than you. Um, doesn't mean you didn't raise him with values. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean any of this is an indictment on you. At all. So then you fast forward and say, I don't like the idea of my son and his wife running a pornography business out of their house. That makes me as their mom a little bit weirded out. I'm uncomfortable with that. That makes me angry. That makes me frustrated. That makes me want to go hit my son upside the head with a fly swatter, whatever the thing is, right? (laughs) So when I get faced with those moments, number one, I always go back to, like you mentioned, relationship. Who can I sit down and say, this really stinks? Who can I say that with? And it sounds like you're embarrassed to tell your friends that your son's doing this. And here's the thing. If you have friendships that you are embarrassed to be fully you in, they're not real friendships. They're pretendships. I just made that word up. I should, I, should, I should coin that. I just made that up. It's a pretendship. It's not real. It's got a, it's got a ring to it. I like it. I'm going to make a T-shirt. <laughs> if you can't call your friend and say, hey, I – and I'm, I'm saying the universal now. Oh, my gosh. I cheated on my husband. We got to talk now. If you can't call your friend up and tell them that, they're not your friend. That doesn't mean your friend's going to sit down and go, what are you doing? You're an idiot. You moron. You. That's what friends should be doing, holding each other accountable. But you got to be able to tell your friends the good stuff and the bad stuff, not just the pretend stuff. And my guess is you've got friends that would hear this and weep with you and be sad with you and be brokenhearted with you and then would tell you, oh, yeah, well, my son did X. My son-in-law, I mean, my daughter-in-law did Y. You'd probably find some community you didn't even know you had. And then the other thing is, have you sat down and talked to your son and said, this breaks my heart? Um, I've, I've talked to him some, but I haven't actually been that straightforward with okay. him. So there's a moment where you're going to have to decide the, or what? Right? So... Let's pretend that your son comes and y'all have a conversation and you say, honey, I just need you to know this breaks my heart that you and your wife have chosen that this is the way y'all are going to make money. This breaks my heart. Um, I raised you to keep your sexuality private between you and, and your spouse and y'all are putting it out for the world to see. And again, I'm just assuming that's what's going on here, right? Um, yeah. And it breaks my heart. And then here's the or what. So is it going to be, so until y'all take that site down, you're not welcome at my home. I don't want you at family gatherings. I don't want you at Thanksgiving. I don't want you at Christmas. I don't want to see her face. Is that the or what? Or is the or what, this breaks my heart. And I don't want to talk about it anymore. And if I ever look sad, it's because of that. But I love you guys. It's y'all's life to live. And... um I'll be here now when y'all are making a bunch of money and I'll be here now when this thing goes off the rails someday. Like those are the two or what's right. 
And it helps yeah. to know up front because what I see parents do is they get in these conversations and it gets loud and it gets emotional and it gets vulnerable. And then they say something they can't take back. Yeah. No, I mean, the, I mean, we've, we've been through enough conversations that I didn't like to have that. It definitely is the latter of the two. I mean, it's the, one of my, one of my questions, um, you know, is like, how do you talk to the grandkids? I mean, they've got two little kids, mm-hmm. preschoolers. You don't, that's not your story to tell. Okay. I mean, that's, yeah, I agree. But if if, I mean, if those kids, if those kids, fo- yeah. I mean, you talk to your parents, right? It's it, think about something more benign. Like you don't, well, that could be equally, but that's just not your story to tell. Your job, is to, your job yeah. is to love okay. those kids sideways and forwards and ups and downs. Like you spoil the snot out of those kids, right? That's your job. Yep. Okay. And if they ask you hard questions, like, Hey, we walked in and there's a, there's a photography studio. I wonder what's happening. Like, mm-hmm. That's you tell your son, Hey, you're, you're, my grandkids are asking questions. You're probably going to need to ask hard conversations about what mommy does for a living. Yeah. And I, if your son called me, I would tell him, do not lie to your kids. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I mean, he wants to call me. He's welcome too, but that's not, <laughs> that's not your job. Okay. That helps. Yeah. All right. What else? Well, I appreciate this. What else? <laughs> no, How about this, Carol? I, I have to know. What is your or what? Um, can I mean, you, there's, can there's you call both a... of them and just and have a face-to-face with them? Yeah. And just say, I love you guys. Y'all are always welcome in my right. home. If, and if you're a real gangster grandma, you could say, and I'm going to make fun of y'all all the time. That's how I oh, handle sadness. I like right? that one. That's how I handle one sadness. Thing, I was I was wondering if I if I could push, you know, like having some family counseling on the issue or something. I mean, we've never we've never been a family that really goes to counseling that much, but well, hardly ever. I, I don't I, I know again if 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 they don't see this as a family problem to solve, you're yeah. inviting them into your boundaries. You're inviting them into your heartbreak. They're not heartbroken. Okay. They called their mom and told them. <laughs> right? Now, if well, you want to be we super were in, gangster, go, we were in person. go to the site. <laughs> go to the site and be like, yeah, those pictures aren't great. I mean, you know what I mean? <laughs> Carol, don't do that. That'd be awful for everybody. Don't do that. But, you know what I'm saying? I, like, I don't want to have that in my head. It, it, I, that's a, you're a wise, wise, wise woman. <laughs> right? But, but here's the thing. Okay. You can't control it. And so what that means is you need to get a friend or two in your life you can be honest with, invite them over, make it a whole thing, and just say, I don't need you to fix nothing. I just need you to tell you I'm heartbroken because my son and his wife are making some decisions that break my heart. Okay. And you're going to feel powerless, and you have solved every problem known to man for the last 20 years. And you can't solve this one. Yeah, that's part of... What you have to learn to live with. That's adult. right. That's right. And then, Ugh. yeah, that, hey, that's the best noise. Ugh, right? And you got to make that noise ugh, in the presence of somebody else who will still love you. Right? And I want to say it again. I'll say it again. I'll say it again. This is not your fault. They made choices. Adult, grown-up choices. They got two little kids, and they're making adult, grown-up choices. And then now you get to make adult grown-up choices. Be thoughtful. Understand what your or what is going to be. Control what you can control. and Get around people that care about you to let you be fully you and that will still love you. That will be fully you and will laugh with you and cry with you and be angry with you and and make that noise with you. And then love the snot out of those grandkids. And you let their moms and dads have those hard conversations. That's not your job. But I think you need to have a open, direct conversation with them because it's going to haunt you until you do. And one out of love, one out of not resignation and anger, and ah, but one that just says, Whew. man, you're awesome, Carol. 
Thank you for being a mom that stepped in the gap. Being a single mom is so God almighty. You raised four good ones. Whew. It's tough. All right, so as we wrap up today's show, thanks for that call, Carol. So I remember back when I was a kid, early 90s, it was the bridge between hair metal and what I would call real metal, Metallica and Pantera and those guys set the world on fire. There's these three kids from the Northwest and they came out with this loud, loud song and nobody knew what they were saying. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you the song that changed the world, the greatest song ever written off the 1991 Nevermind record, the one that brought us from then till now. Nirvana smells like teen spirit. Check out this poetic lyrics, good folks. Load up on guns, bring your friends. It's fun to lose and to pretend. She's overboard and self-assured. Oh no, I know. A dirty word. Hello. 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 How low? (laughs) Hello. With the lights out, it's less dangerous. Here we are now. Entertain us. I feel stupid and contagious. Here we are now. Entertain us. A mulatto? An albino? A mosquito? My libido? Yeah. Hey. Hello. 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 I feel like my mind is blown. This has been the Dr. John Deloney Show. Hello.